Great question. The Manufacturing Podcast offers news and information for the people who make, store, and move things, and those who manage and maintain the facilities where that work gets done. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Great Question, a Manufacturing Podcast. The title of our program today, presented by Smart Industry from the Manufacturing Group of Endeavor Business Media, is Cyber Incidents and the New SEC Rules. I'm Scott Acapole, and I'm Managing Editor of Smart Industry. Manufacturers and tech companies have suffered some costly and debilitating cyber attacks of late. At the same time, the U.S. SEC rules, which took effect last month, require many firms to comply with new preparedness and reporting standards. The discussion today is all about cybersecurity and cyber incident preparedness and what brand new federal government rules have to do with how manufacturing companies structure their their preparedness and respond when these attacks happen to any size business, small or large. As we saw in the case of software and internet services giant Microsoft Corp, which reported a serious password spray attack just last week. This all will be the focus of another smart industry program as well, titled New SEC Reporting Requirements and Your Cyber Defenses on February 15, with two luminaries in the area of cybersecurity. Michael Daniel, who now leads the Cyber Threat Alliance and was President Obama's cybersecurity coordinator at the White House, and Richard Byrd, the Chief Information Security Officer at Traceable AI. Today, however, our guest is Dennis Semeca, Senior Editor for Technology at Industry Week, which is SI's sister brand and part of the manufacturing group here at EBM. Dennis is our in-house go-to on most matters related to cybersecurity and has led IW's reporting on some high-profile cyber attacks the last, last few months, including the multi-million dollar breach at Clorox Company last summer that slowed production and generated a lot of headlines. His latest story for IW and Smart Industry focused on the Microsoft attack, the details for which are still coming into focus, but were con- concerning Microsoft's status as a software and internet services behemoth. Welcome to the Great Question Podcast, Dennis. Thanks, Scott. I like how you um, introduced the two luminaries you're going to have on February 15th and said, however, today our guest. <laughs> That's great. Yeah, just me. Just the guy from Industry Week. That's okay. That does not diminish your your considerable <laughs> accomplishments, Dennis. <laughs> we appreciate that. How are you doing today, Scott? I'm doing well. Dennis, you're pretty in the weeds about the details of the notable cyber cyber incidents the last six months, including Clorox and Microsoft. I'm going to tap your knowledge, it is considerable, and insights here. Don't hesitate to let loose. Our listeners really want candor on this subject. Yeah, I think I just demonstrated I'm not afraid to talk, so let's go for it. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Uh, First question, what precisely do the SEC rules say? Okay. Uh, So I'm not going to quote from any of the docs, but the new rules adopted in July 2023 and in effect for all U.S. companies as of mid-December, they state two requirements. So first, in their annual 10-K filing, companies have to report on cybersecurity risk management strategy and governments. 
Now, if you're not familiar, where an annual report to shareholders might focus almost entirely on financials, a 10K form is much more comprehensive. It has information about company history, organizational structure, facilities owned, basically all the information an investor needs to really understand how the company is doing. So now, in addition to all that, companies have to describe how they identify and manage material cybersecurity threats, uh, the material damage a cybersecurity attack might do, past cybersecurity incidents, how much oversight the board of directors has, and how management assesses and manages material risks from cybersecurity threats. So if a company isn't paying attention to cybersecurity, now investors are going to know about it. So second, Unless the U.S. Attorney General determines that the disclosure poses a national security or public safety risk, companies must, within four days, disclose cybersecurity incidents that the company determines are material. That's using a new item line on Form 8K. Uh, that's the form companies use to report major events that shareholders ought to know about. So now that includes material cybersecurity incidents. Uh, incidentally, with material defined as an incident uh, to which there is a substantial likelihood that a reasonable investor would attach importance. And I lied. That is actually quoting something from the SEC. To which there is a substantial likelihood that a reasonable investor would attach importance. That's a terrific and detailed answer, Dennis. Thank you. <laughs> uh, the, despite your level of detail, these sound like pretty general guidelines, yes? Well, here's where things get murky. So what is substantial likelihood? substantial likelihood a reasonable investor would care. Um, now, in some cases, like the Clorox breach you mentioned that Industry Week reported on last September, uh, there's zero argument that that incident wasn't material because the breach actually affected production. You know, there were like, severe product shortages on shelves. There's no way profits wouldn't be affected. The stock price actually dropped following when that news broke and hundreds of million dollars probably were lost. That's an estimate, but it absolutely cost the money and shook investor confidence. Now, on the other hand, last February, Dole reported a cybersecurity incident after customers in New Mexico and Texas noticed an absence of pre-cut and mixed salad kits on grocery store shelves. So Dole reported it was in the midst of a cyber attack and had shut its systems down through North America, but also said the effect on operations was minimal. They just put manual operations in place to replace the automated operations and they got things moving again. So was that actually a material incident if all that happened was customers not being able to purchase a specific product line for a few weeks? How much money does that cost? Maybe not a lot, you know, in the grand scheme of things. I don't know Dull's books, but it maybe doesn't cost a lot. So did they have to report that? Then there are other kinds of hacks that, you know, are important from a cybersecurity point of view, but might not matter to investors. So like data scraping, stealing names and real life addresses off uh, off a website. Now, does that have a material effect on anything? Probably not. It does show that a company has holes in its cybersecurity that need to be plugged. Uh, the only financial ramifications might be spending some money on the cybersecurity firm to plug said holes. But even if a hack you know, didn't have a material effect, if it was large enough to indicate really big holes, would an investor care? Maybe. I don't know. So the point is, while I expect most companies would play it safe when determining what cybersecurity events investors need to know about, I expect some company at some point is going to dance around the verbiage, and that's going to be fun to watch. Okay, Dennis, sounds like that some of these rules are subject to interpretation. Do you think it's best for companies to at least consult expert counsel before they go about putting in place their reporting procedures? 
I mean, I honestly don't know what those conversations would look like. I mean, if I know lawyers, it'd be a conversation about how to cover everybody's behind, like maybe uh, what verbiage to use to defend whether an incident needs to be reported on an 8K or when. I think the wiggle room comes from the basic nature of reporting cybersecurity incidents. So the new regs state that the disclosure of a material breach has to take place within four days of determining the incident is material, but not within four days of when the incident first took place. For example, the incident that Microsoft reported on Friday, January 19th, that incident was detected a week earlier on January 12th, but the systems breach took place in November. So it took Microsoft two months to discover they'd been hacked. That, that's not unusual. Uh, Hewlett Packard Enterprises on January 24th, they filed a Form 8K disclosure that hackers had gained access to the company's Microsoft Office 365 email environment. Now, HPE was notified on December 12th that the hack had taken place in May. So when a company detects a breach, they have to backtrack, figure out when it took place and what was affected. You know, companies need to know how the hackers got in, what the hackers had access to, and what, if anything, they stole. And without knowing all those things, the company cannot repair the damage and put new defenses in place to avoid a repeat occurrence. Now, that can take a while, and it's reasonable that any company would want to have its ducks in a row before reporting any kind of systems breach, especially if they have to do so now to the SEC and need to assuage any investor concerns when they report the incident officially. Uh, a company could argue that it has no idea whether a breach is material until they have determined the full extent of the system's intrusion and just how much of what was taken or what the hackers did. And one can argue that an investor can't know what to worry about or what not to worry about until the company has that information. So, you know, again, one can imagine that companies might follow the spirit of the new regulations uh, to avoid being hassled by the SEC, but still be in no rush to report cybersecurity incidents any faster than is absolutely necessary. And it might be fun to see how companies play with those aspects of the rules as well. Very interesting. Lots of weeds, lots of ins and outs. Mm -hmm. uh, another question, Dennis, who in a manufacturing company would be responsible for gathering these answers? Is it or should it be the responsibility of someone like a CISO? Or do you think these answers are better gathered by the legal department with consultation from IT? I mean, I don't know. I don't really know how companies necessarily structure this stuff. I mean, if you have a CISO, obviously that's the chief information security officer. Uh, obviously, that person is in charge and ultimately responsible. Um, I actually have a story once a contact told me a uh, company. I don't think they were a manufacturer, but I think the story is still funny. Uh, they were running over um, like simulations of what might happen if they could hit with certain types of attacks and they got to ransomware. Uh, that's when your data is held hostage. Usually it's encrypted and then the ransomware attacker makes a demand. If you pay us X amount of money, we'll decrypt the data. You can have it back. So they asked the CISO, you know, what's our plan if uh, we get hit with a ransomware attack? And the, uh, the CISO said, well, we'll just pay them. And I think that company then went looking for a new CISO. So ultimately, that's the person who's responsible, right, at the highest level. Um, you know, in terms of gathering these answers, there's probably a cybersecurity department within IT. Uh, it might be a whole department, it might be one person. So I think the, you know that that group, that's who you would need to uh, to uh, to deal with. I don't know about the legal department. Um, you know, I think the legal department would probably want to check the verbiage on the Form 10-K to make sure that they're being uh, thorough without sounding like, you know, they're uh, exposing any vulnerabilities they might have. But I think, I mean, the buck probably stops at the CISO's desk. And I'm sure it just depends on um, the size of the company and how they're used to operating. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, does this mean after all this time and all these high-profile incidents, even the largest companies – 
I mean, after all, Microsoft is as big as it gets. Don't take cybersecurity as seriously as they should, or they should at least care more than they did before the SEC rules took effect. No, great. Now, I'm certainly not going to indict a tech giant for their cybersecurity awareness. I have no idea what Microsoft's training programs look or and how large of a staff they have dedicated to this, but I'm sure a company like Microsoft doesn't run short on people who understand cybersecurity intimately. And I think one has to be fair. So in the Microsoft incident, we'll stick with them, uh, the breached account was a test account. This is an account that somebody created to test the system. Uh, it wasn't an actual account with an employee attached to it who was sending email messages all the time. You know, with a company the size of Microsoft with such a dense IT structure to manage and so many systems that are being created or tested or taken offline, and I don't think it's uh, forgetting to shut down a test account or monitor it says anything about the company's cyber cybersecurity hygiene overall. I mean, mistakes happen, and who knows how long that test account was made. Um, you know, I think most cybersecurity incidents probably don't fall under the material category uh, and therefore won't need to be reported. So these new SEC regulations on reporting, they might not change anything from that point of view and thinking about security from that point of view. Um, I think the need to annually disclose preparations and plans, that does or should force companies to take cybersecurity more seriously if they are not already. Um, you know, my understanding based on conversations with many cybersecurity specialists is the problem doesn't lie with, it relies with companies wanting to run IT on efficiency models and cybersecurity isn't simple. So at the most basic level, right? It means training your employees about phishing and social engineering, you know, making sure they know how to identify fake emails um, or people try to get them to log into a system with their credentials, you know, who knows what that system is and how to identify those emails and then report those emails to the IT department. And the IT department, you know, I, I, ideally is taking steps to address the problem, seeing where the emails come from. So now you're talking about training employees and then making sure the IT department might have to be trained or maybe even staffed up. If they don't have the ability to do that. Uh, companies should be testing their networks for vulnerabilities, I think figuring out the size of their attack surface. That means uh, the sum total of all potential entry points into their networks is usually how I define it. So you know, figure out the size of your attack surface. That probably means hiring a cybersecurity firm um, how many companies have the sort of IT team that can run those tests in-house? It might actually be beneficial to have that outside third-party perspective. And then there's the cost of taking action to fill those security gaps once the cybersecurity firm you hired has discovered those gaps. So, I mean, all of that takes a lot more, a lot more time. It might cost more than just paying a ransomware demand to get your data back. You know, it's probably why a lot of companies haven't wanted to pay uh, pay as much attention to cybersecurity as they should. It's just easier and faster to pay the ransomware demand. Um, you know, it's the idea of the CISO suggesting just pay the ransomware demand. That to me is that's funny, but it's also not something a company is going to report to the SEC in their annual 10K filing. You know, what's our plan for ransomware? We're just going to pay it. Uh, you know, the good old days of a company rolling the dice on whether they will ever suffer a cyber attack and then deciding how much money they're going to throw at the at the cyber cyber attacker or how much money they're going to throw at cybersecurity. Those days ought to be over because now if a company gets hacked and the incident is material, it might come to light that this company took no precautions and had no plan. And, you know, that might run the gamut from being embarrassing to, you know, really shaking investor confidence, you know, as we saw with the, uh, you know, with the Clorox hack, you know, that's the, you know, the stock price dropped and that's just, you know, I, I ostensibly dealing with the company taking it seriously. So what if a company gets hacked that it comes to light that they 
really just weren't paying attention. Like, what's going to happen next? Interesting. These new SEC rules aren't specific to manufacturers, but what specific cybersecurity threats do manufacturers need to be aware of? What might they have to talk to about the uh, on the Form 10K annual filing? Okay, so I do want to get to kind of general cybersecurity steps at some point, but let's talk about manufacturer-specific stuff. First, there's OT. Um, you know, lots of businesses might have OT, but manufacturing, obviously, that's you know, down on the shop floor. Now, a lot of IT is air-gapped meaning it doesn't connect to any kind of network. But is there a way to lift data from that machine? You know, even if it's just as simple as plugging in a thumb drive and downloading a report, if the machine is networked, it could be running cable, in which case you, again, mostly have to worry about physical access to the machine. If the manufacturer uses a Wi-Fi network to connect OT to a central system, you still need to worry about physical access to the machine, but now you also need to worry about someone hacking into the Wi-Fi. And in some cases, there can be cybersecurity threats targeted at specific industrial control systems, or ICSs, uh, supervisor control and data acquisition devices, or SCADA, uh, specific programming logic controllers, or PLCs. Uh, as a matter of fact, the U.S. government in 2022, they reported on threats that were very specific to PLCs manufactured by Schneider Electric and Omron. Uh, no statement intended about those two companies, but you know, the hacker figured out some way to get into those PLCs specifically. So you want to be paying attention to what the U.S. government is reporting. Um, you talk about IO, uh, uh, IoT cybersecurity, or all those sensors you're installing on equipment spread across the floor. Uh, do you understand all the relevant security considerations there? Uh, do you have security and privacy service level agreements, you know, SLAs with all your vendors? Do you have behavioral analytics so you can see how IoT devices are behaving and then catch anything abnormal going on what is happening? Uh, do the IoT devices have built-in diagnostics? How many users have access to the IoT devices and how well are they trained on cybersecurity? Because every single employee with access to the network technology is a cybersecurity risk. And that's just an abridged version of the necessary IoT security measures that an expert shared with Industry Week this past October. So then you have third-party vendors. Now, this isn't specific to manufacturers, but you know, you talk about all the suppliers and material suppliers and all the sellers that have access to a manufacturer's network. Every single one of them presents a security risk. Do you have any idea what kind of security they have on their end? You know, are they guarding all their OT? Do they train their employees about phishing? Every single one of those people provides a door or multiple doors into your network. Uh, probably the best example I can think of is Nissan in January 23. Uh, they reported a data breach that came from a third-party software developer uh, as a vendor that had access to Nissan's, uh, Nissan's customer data stored on the cloud. Uh, there weren't any severe ramifications as a result of that uh, uh, data theft, but it does go to show, you know, third parties, they have access to your network. Interesting. Dennis, is there general cybersecurity hygiene that all companies, including manufacturers, ought to implement sooner rather than later? All right. So this is, you know, not all of, but a large reason why I cover cybersecurity at Industry Week. You know, I try to focus on manufacturer-specific hacks, like the aforementioned Nissan and Dull hacks. But I report on big hacks, like the Microsoft and HPE or Boeing, they're a manufacturer. It was their uh, parts I think it was their parts support business specifically that was hacked, uh, Boeing's. Um, I covered that last year by way of trying to make our readers understand that if these big companies who probably throw a lot of resources at cybersecurity are vulnerable, then what is a small or medium-sized business that may not throw a lot of resources at cybersecurity, what are they vulnerable to? 
you know, I, mean, I worry about what cyber attacks can do to, I mean, to any business, but to a smaller, medium-sized business with maybe only one plant and only a few lines at that single plant, what happens to them if a cyber attacker shuts down production for a few weeks? Like, how bad is that damage comparatively? Now, I, I, we're probably not talking about publicly traded companies there, so we're not talking about compliance with the SEC, which is ultimately what this conversation was about. But I hope that not being under those SEC regulations wouldn't be the only reason a manufacturer cares about all of this. You know, if someone said I was trying to use scare tactics to make them care about cybersecurity, I'm perfectly fine with that. I care about my readers and their industry, and everyone needs to pay attention to this, SEC regs or otherwise. So, okay, the you know the quickest and easiest step to take for cybersecurity hygiene is to train your employees about phishing attempts or how bad actors, that's what the, uh, the cybersecurity experts call hackers, uh, how bad actors trick people into giving away their login creds. You know, yeah, you may have gotten a fake email about signing in to receive a document from the HR department or receive a package waiting for them. I've got a ton of those emails lately. Um, you know, uh, make sure you're using two-factor authentication whenever possible. And that's when you log in online and then you get a text on your phone, usually with a six-digit number you enter to complete your login. And even that is imperfect protection. There are cases where people have been bombarded with two-factor authentication requests and all they have to do is tap a button to provide it, and eventually they just provide it because they figure, well, whoever that is on the other end that's asking, they must be legit, right? Well, they weren't. It was a hacker trying to social engineer, trying to get somebody's creds. You know, employees are the largest attack surface. And if they're distracted or busy or untrained, it's way too easy to not recognize when someone is trying to get your login credentials. You know, I write about this. I'm aware of this. And I still have to give emails kind of, a, you know, I have to cock an eyebrow sometimes and say, wait a minute, this looks legit. But, you know, look at who sent it. You know, that email address, that looks squirrely. That does not look like the email address of somebody at this business trying to get me to log in and sign something. Um, introducing a little paranoia into the workforce when it comes to cybersecurity is that might not be the worst thing, and that's something you can get started with immediately. Uh, you know, and I, I don't want to be accused of throwing business to cybersecurity companies, but you need to understand the nature of your attack surface. It's probably, again, that's all the ways somebody can get into your network, and honestly, I bet that's the kind of thing that a lot of businesses can't do in-house. Um, is you're probably going to have to hire somebody. Now, that's probably the kind of thing where I imagine why a business decides to just pay a ransomware uh, a fee or demand. Uh, that might be cheaper than paying for a cybersecurity firm to come in. And I mean, I don't know. You know, I don't know what the cybersecurity firms charge per hour or how much money manufacturers pay in ransomware demands. But maybe the math works out where it's better to pay the cybersecurity experts to figure out where you're vulnerable than let the vulnerability stand and then pay the person who takes advantage of those vulnerabilities that you could have discovered and plugged but chose not to, if that all makes sense. It absolutely did, Dennis. Uh, so the lesson should be, at the very least, companies and their CISOs and manufacturers and possibly their legal departments, even though that <laughs> gets amusing when they get involved, mm -hmm. should learn the brand new SEC rules and inform their bosses about which de other departments to involve in the preparations just in case of an incident. Kind of like break a glass in case of a cyber breach, but maybe the worst is not to be prepared at all. Mm. All all great food for thought, Dennis, and thank you very much for participating today. Very welcome. That was fun. That concludes Smart Industries' contribution today for the Great Question podcast. Everyone have a great day.